So by now, you're probably well aware that I'm fully on board with SFH supplements as an incredible addition to your retail sales strategy at your gym. However, you also know I'm practical as hell, and I don't want gym owners ordering and sitting on hundreds of dollars worth of inventory that won't move. That's another reason why I love when gym owners work with SFH, because SFH understands that you guys have a lengthy to-do list when it comes to running a profitable gym, and that managing inventory... And that's another reason why I love when gym owners work with SFH. They understand that you guys have a lengthy to-do list when it comes to running a profitable gym, and that managing inventory is definitely not on your priority list. That's why SFH recommends and supports gym owners with pre-order sales sheets and best practices for ensuring that what you order sells every single time. In fact, here's a freebie lesson on how to effectively pre-sell your SFH supplements. Step one, order a few single serving packs of their pure fuel or recover whey protein or even push their incredible pre-workout. Next, step two, mix up a few shaker bottles worth of their product and get those little two ounce serving cups and pour free samples for your members before and after their workout. It'll sound a little something like this. Hey Sally, what's up? You ready for today's workout? Ugh, I slept like crap last night and my boss was a nightmare today but I'm here, so we'll see how it goes. Don't worry, Sally, we got you covered. Try some Push. It's an awesome pre-workout supplement from SFH that will give you the push you need in today's workout, but without that caffeine crash and overstimulated feeling so you can still get to bed on time tonight. Guys do the same thing after the workout with their whey protein. And trust me, nobody turns down a free protein shake samples, especially with the delicious flavors that SFH has. Step three, at the front desk, have one of the official pre-sell sign-up sheets that SFH will gladly supply you. This allows members to buy in the moment when their interest is peaked and gives you permission to charge them for the product before you ever order it from SFH. You let them know you're placing their order today and that it'll be ready for them at the front desk as soon as it arrives. Now your clients are paying for you to fill up your inventory with products that are already sold. You'll never have cases of supplements sitting in your back office collecting dust again, and you're adding significant revenue to your average client value. So what are you waiting for? Let's expose your members to a premium supplement brand that you can feel confident endorsing while creating major upside to your business, but without the hassle and headache of managing inventory. So for right now, guys, SFH is offering all of my listeners 20% off their products. Just head over to sfh.com, fill up your cart, and use the promo code GYMTALK20, and you'll receive 20% off your entire order. Again, that promo code is GYMTALK20. Get over there, try their different products out, do that three-step system that I just explained to you where you can start giving your clients samplers of their products to find out what they want, get the pre-orders in, and in so facto, you're essentially selling to them without the risk of having to put up money first for the wholesale purchase. It's as simple as it can be, guys. Head on over to sfh.com and use that promo code GYMTALK20. Now let's get on with the podcast. Uh, what is up, guys? It is Stu, and it is another episode of the What the Fuck Gym Talk podcast. I've got my dude, Marty Flanagan, back on the podcast. He, Marty was here previously. Marty's the brand president of Iron 24. And Marty, we, I was like, bro, hold on, hold that thought. I need to hit record. You caught a lot of shit for that? 
Yeah, I kind of, I did. You know, I got a lot of um, people that you have this spectrum where people loved my honesty. Uh, but then uh, I had a lot of text messages from people in the franchising side of it, you know, that were like, why are you saying, why are you talking about percentages of kickbacks? Why are you talking about, you know, the fees that we collect? Why? And I'm like, you know, they were a little real. <laughs> yeah, it's real, you know, and, and stuff is in these FTDs and they're, they're the franchisor in themselves is not, I don't want to say all of them, but um, they try to hide it a little bit. They try to bake it in so that, you know, they can, you know, these fees are going to be there. But also if you don't ask the questions of what are your kickbacks from fitness equipment companies? Why are all the fitness equipment companies, you know, you know, jumping all over iron 24 and why do they love working with us? Because we're not, we're not diving into those big kickback fees and exposing, you know, some brokers and consultants are fantastic. And some of them take these huge commissions. Well, guess what the franchisor has to do? They have to hike up their franchise fee. So now instead of paying a $20,000 franchise fee, you're paying a $40,000 franchise fee because you had five conversations with this other guy who's now going to get a $20,000 commission. Yeah. And in, and that's your hard-earned money. And then those kickbacks. So you got, I got a few text messages that were you know, that were interesting that from folks not too happy with that. And I write on both sides of this. So I sit here as someone who um, jumped on board someone else's idea, right? CrossFit 2006. I find it. I'm like, oh, fuck, man. I, this thing's going to do something for me in the future. And um, I opened my gym in 2010, 11. And I rode that wave until I broke it, got rid of it. And I'm like, I'm going to go see if I could do this on my own, my own brand. Nobody knows about my own thing. So I've got respect on, on two sides of this. One, riding someone else's coattails. B, creating something your own, getting becoming self-made. And when I look at franchisees, you know, I do. I, I, I've seen FDD docs. I, I've worked with a lot of like the metabolic uh, franchisees and I, some other um, uh, some other individuals in different uh, different companies in the fitness industry. And I'm like, you know, they'll, they'll talk about like the 8% royalty, like this here, that here. And I'm like, listen, I get it. And yeah, it sucks, comma but you didn't have to think about any of the shit themselves yourself. Yep. Like, you yep. know, I, I use metabolic as the example. I'm like those, those poor fuckers, Brandon and Kirk, the founders, they literally for, for, they grew the first 11 franchises themselves, homegrown, figuring it out. They ate every dollar of every mistake they made. And now I'm looking at it like, okay, you're essentially sure this fee is high. This fee is high. You're also saving yourself a decade of fucking headaches because the playbook's there. How do you feel back and forth? How do you feel about that back and forth? Is there just a so, certain limit? Yeah. So I've lived on the franchisor side, obviously. Sure. I lived on the franchisee side, worked in a corporate office and independent. Why do, why do folks that have some of the most experience, some of the most willpower, financial resources, knowledge, how come they still go to franchising? Why don't they go independent? There's a lot of things when it comes to franchising that makes your life easier. There's things that you're going to be great at. There's things that you're not going to be great at. And, uh, you know, I know that franchisors need to make money. That is true. But they're always what they focus on is that the, the long game, not the short game. And that's what that's where I got a lot of my flack and a lot of where people were pushing back on me that were in the industry were like, the short game, which is that big kickback and those big franchise fees versus the long game, which is the royalties. And, um, you know, I, 
I fall always on the side of franchising because you have a team. As an independent entrepreneur, you out there and you're busting your butt, you're trying, who's your fallback? Who are your mentors? Who are you talking with? Who are you working with? And that's where really the franchising comes in. And in, in my experience, working with thousands of franchisees for 12 years, working inside of a support structure, eating at their homes, working out with them, hanging out, being in their location. All entrepreneurs are going to have ups and downs. If you think you're not going to, you are living in a, you're living in a different world. Entrepreneurs have ups and downs all the time. Who are you falling back on? Who are you calling? Who's there for you? And uh, that's where I believe franchising comes in. FDDs, you know, a big thing that we, you know, you and I discussed a little bit on, in the past. FDDs, there's there's three, ba there's really a couple basic things people need to understand, which is 90% of FDDs are templated. Do me a favor, just real quick, for anyone, for anyone listening yeah, yeah. that's not familiar, just where you break down if they're unfamiliar with FDD. If FDD is a franchise disclosure document, the federal government, FTC, requires anybody who wants to go to franchising to have one of these 380 word documents built. Insurance companies and the federal government are going to be watching over everything that you do. And it's for franchisee protection. It's for brand protection and the franchisor protection. And that's 380 and pages you meant, right? 380, 380 pages. pages okay. Typically, yeah, okay. if you get a franchise disclosure document and it's like 12 pages, run away walk away just yeah. walk away they did not do their work and you're not protected if a franchisor will mark up there and red mark their fdd and and change things for you walk away uh if, if that was old school if a franchisor is going to change their fdd walk away if that fdd is not at least 300 pages plus walk away these, uh, you know, look at the legal firm that they used, you know, look at the fine, you know, I'm not, I'm not telling you that you need to read every single word of that, because like I said, 90% of that thing is templated in accordance to franchise laws. You can't make the change. You can give it to an attorney. If you're not giving it to a franchise attorney and you're giving it to a regular attorney, this is not NCIS. They're not going to red mark that thing all over the place. Like you can negotiate changes. It's not going to happen. And if a franchisor does that, you should really, really second guess the decision you're making. You're not getting a good deal. You're just maybe getting a better deal than somebody who didn't ask. But what about when Stu asks and Stu takes the franchisor to task and now Stu gets a better deal than you because he asked for it and you didn't? That's not everybody on the same playing field. I had a client, uh, it was about three years ago, he gets on a call and uh, he's a franchise and it's a local franchise. One that started in North Carolina here, he's like the one of the first five. And I said, well, I mean, I'm not, you don't have to send me your FDD because that's a pretty – that's a forward thing to ask for right away without me signing some kind of NDA or something. And he's like, I don't, I, no, I don't mind. It's, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And I'm like, all right. So he sends it over. And then I'm like – and I saw it, and red flag goes off for this reason. Uh, I'm like, send me your lease real quick because we – you know, his lease, 22 pages. His FDD, 17. I'm like, your yeah. lease – is longer than your <laughs> franchise disclosure documents, homie. Did that not raise a flag? And it is. It's one of these things where, you know, it, it, a lot of us have signed leases or think about if you bought a home, a mortgage, and there's no continued relationship there, essentially, except for payee and the payer, like, you know, exchange of money every month. But you yeah. think about how many pages are in a mortgage, and that's a one-time done deal with this 30-year payment plan, whereas the franchise, is this is an entire business and they are now essentially mm -hmm. selling you this recipe creates a level of success that we'll stand behind and we've told you x y and z 
you know, a lot of interest went over to um, a lot of interest, a lot of flack, uh, and rightfully so, got kicked over at F45 when they had their IPO. And in their initial public offering, their documentation, a lot of numbers were inflated compared to what actually happened. And so walk me through this. If someone's thinking of doing a franchise and they're looking mm -hmm. at numbers in the franchise, in the in the FDD docs, are they actually saying you're going to make X amount? Are they giving case studies? How deep into that are they going or are they allowed to go or should you or should someone look for them to go? Yeah, so this is a this is a great this is probably I have walked through over well over a thousand, maybe probably close to fifteen hundred to two thousand FDDs with folks that were interested. You know, we had our you know in the past with our with our which was our tech education franchise, which we grew to over seven hundred and sixty territories. We have Iron Twenty Four, my past history, and then we also have a, a, a esports franchise called Valhalla that we have. So I walk through FDDs all the time in the fine prints of, of what it is. And that item 19 is what you're referring to. The item 19 in any FDD is, it has to be and in federally audited by the government and put into the FDD. So it's called the item 19. The item 19 is gonna show financial performance. The higher value or the higher investment of the brand, the more numbers you're gonna want, right? And also the hype that you're hearing from a broker or consultant or internally, if that hype is really, really high in terms of like your investment is high, the hype is high, you need more numbers. You need more information. Typically, the lower the investment, the lower the risk factor, still can have tons of hype. But if the risk factor is lower, that item 19 doesn't have as much. It's needed. It's nice to see those numbers, but it doesn't need to have the elaborate breakdown of numbers. You need to have a general sense of the numbers. Those are critically important. Um, but who determines that? Also like, who determines yeah. like, okay, this is a high investment project. We need them to show lots of numbers versus this is a lower, lower risk investment project. Yeah. They don't need to show as many. Yeah. So think of it as funding. You can always follow the money to tell you what a high investment is or average or low. Unsecured loans typically are 150,000, maybe 200,000, maybe 250. If you got great, great resources, you can get a nice unsecured loan for 10 years. SBA loans typically won't do anything with you if they're not going to be doing anything under 200,000. So when you start to look at what a high investment is, the average entrepreneur is typically between 150 and 300,000. Anything over 300,000, four, 500,000, now you're getting in the higher investment range where more numbers are going to be pretty important. Then you also have to look at the risk or the attachment to the franchise that you're looking at. If you have to go out and sign a 10 year franchise agreement, which is very standard, by the way, it's a 10 year, um, but you're also now going to be what real estate do you have to be in? Because of that franchisor is saying, now you have to also be in grade A retail. Well, now you're signing a 10-year lease, paying 25, 30 grand a month, if not more, depending where you're at. So not only now are you attached to this franchise, which there's not a lot of flexibility because they're requiring you to go into grade A retail. So there's two sides of that. There's that side of, well, now I'm signing a personal guarantee with this landlord at $25,000 a month in my rent for the next 10 years. The franchisor is not even close to that, but I'm also attached to them. 
So there's like those two attachments. So the investment, the risk tolerance isn't just with the franchise itself. It's what the, where the franchise is requiring you to be. And this is where, uh, this is also where I caught a lot of flack because I always tell everybody, if we can hang a sign on it, let's consider it. And that pushes back against this whole, you need to be in retail. You don't have to be in retail. You just have to be in a safe place, welded parking lot. You you know, let's focus on the math of this versus focusing on how many people are going to drive by and see you. So there's this franchise but then what's what's what is the franchise requiring of you for your location so uh there's a a woman that i have the privilege of working with and she is very intelligent she um her career professional career spans definitely outside of the fitness industry and i did an article i went through all the um that's one docs for the ipo for f45 taught and just kind of get like a layman's kind of look over of them and she hit me up with an email and she's like you know I believe most franchises can be predatory. And I think especially she was preferring to F45 and she was showing me advertising that they were running uh, called, it was F45 after, and it was for disabled vets. And it was a special program for disabled vets because why disabled vets are able to access funding that the average entrepreneur mm-hmm. cannot access. And we yep. were having this discussion. It's like, is this, is this market opportunity? Is this predatory? Is this what, and with all the hoopla surrounding F45 and their fucked up numbers and everything, and then F40, you know, certain, in this part, I'd love for you to put a way in here, whether you know or not, with an F45 franchise or with others, are you, like, if it's an unprofitable business and you need to shut doors, you still owe money to the franchise or for the yes. period of your agreement. Talk to me about that. So um, there's a couple of things with this, and you're going to see franchises do this in different ways. Um, Some franchises will allow you to buy out of your um, obligations. Some will not bargain with you at all or meet you in the middle. They'll just make you pay it all. Um, And very few will let you out completely, just let you walk away. So when when you do commit, And the reason franchises want that is they want to know that you're all in, right? So they're never going to talk to you in the beginning of a franchise and saying, you know, well, what if I, what if I have to close my doors in five years? What what about that? And now some want to run away from that and not not address it. Um, I like to educate before you sign anything. And so I want to talk about those things. I want to walk through that. What happens in five years? Yeah. Well, a couple of things. One, no franchise wants you to close their doors, obviously, but what, what do they have in place for you? Don't expect the franchise ever to give you money. The franchisor is not going to waive your royalties. They're not going to waive your advertising fees. They're not going to give you money for rent. They're not going to do those things. That sends a precedent that is unsustain, unsustainable long-term with anybody else that goes through any sort of an ups and downs with their with inside their franchise. So if you have to, well, if you have to close, how is a franchise going to help you? Do they help you resale, right? How much are they helping you on the front end to understand what you're obligated for? You know, what work are they doing on the front side of this to help you understand, hey, here's where another location is going to be in the territory around you. Here's our policy internally for this. Here's where it says it in the franchise disclosure document. Here's our history. History tells you a ton about what that franchise does. So for example, 
with, we have, we give you an eight month timeline to open your doors for business. Some franchises give you 12, some give you six. If it's out of your control, typically franchises will extend that timeline. If it's in your control, they're not going to extend your timeline and you're going to be required to start paying royalties before you even open. Outside of your control would be uh, permitting snags, zoning snags, construction snags. And then within your control would be like black black, mold. And within your control, would that that be like being underfunded or unable to find labor? Unable to find a location is typically the big one. So typically the big one is that's with That's considered within your control. Yep. You can't find a location because here's the thing. If you have not been horseshoed into a location, which means there's one here, there's one here, there's one here, but Hey, there's an opening right there. We'll stick you right there. Right? So you buy into that idea that we're going to put one right there, but you didn't do any research on real estate. That is a huge mistake because now you're horseshoed into this location you can't find a space to actually open. The timeline starts to tick away. Now your minimum royalties start to kick in because you have not signed a lease and you have nowhere to go. The franchise and franchisor, shame on you. Franchisee, shame on you. You should, sure. you, you, you need to ask, you need to make sure, well, what if I can't find a location right here? What can, what am I, what are my options? What am I going to do? And um, that happens with some of these flat fee-based franchises where they just stack everybody in around each other. Don't the more sophisticated ones have their own national commercial real estate firm that's going to help like that? And they're going to, they're going to include that in the marketing of the team that you have around you. That's a great, that's a great question. And I'm not an attorney. I don't give anybody legal advice. And right. I think you and I both probably have, (laughs) have had that question, but no, we don't give legal advice, but when it comes to real estate, a lot of big franchises will not take on the liability of saying we have real estate brokers that that are work for X brand. Typically, what they'll do is they'll start a sub company to you know so the liability doesn't fall back on them, or they have a partner like we work with Morrow Hill. Morrow Hill, they are huge, and we with our preferred vendor. This is where the chicken before the egg starts to happen, because typically a commercial broker real estate broker is not going to work with you until you're a franchisee. So it gets really, really slippery out there. And when you start to look at these bigger spaces, um, they'll have real estate resources. It, you, can, you have to ask that question. What is the process for real estate? What does it look for, like for me before I sign and after I sign my franchise agreement? Who do I work with? Who are these people? And how do they help me? And a lot of times they're going to require you to you work with their real estate people because I just had a situation just two months ago where they worked with an independent. That independent did not build a profile. That independent did not build a profile on the candidate, on the brand, on the market, and the value of that brand in that market for the opportunity. They just went right to the landlord. They didn't build up any value of the brand or the leasee for that space or the market itself. And as they were working through that space, they, they you know, no free rent, you know, no yeah. TIA, which is tenant improvement allowance. And like rent was through the roof. And I'm like, I need to call in Morrow Hill to clean this up. Morrow Hill came in, got him free rent, got him a little TI, got the rent lowered. Yeah. Because Morrow Hill presented the value of the brand and the, and the leasee versus just saying, how much is your space? 
And I had the exact opposite. So I went in, uh, I've got my broker's license. I started the Jim Real Estate Company in 2021. We helped gym owners lease and buy buildings. And so in states I'm not licensed in, I essentially consult and I find um, building suitability essentially is, is my role then. And same thing, there was it was a franchise and they were told you cannot work with an independent broker. You have to work with this particular firm at, you know, at the, with this particular guy for your market. He's licensed, blah, blah, blah. But that guy didn't even show up in the same thing. It was like, okay, well, show me just real quick the 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 one sheeter, the flyer, the pitch deck, whatever that you're taking around because you were a very this is a good brand. You're a very attractive tenant for somebody. Um, you have the SBA guarantee, all this stuff, and they didn't have any of that. And and that was with the franchise or's commercial real estate guy. And here I am. I've been doing this broker thing less than two years, and I'm like, how in the fuck did you miss? Like, how does that not happening? Because so, they're not hungry. They're not it, hungry. It's, it's it's a given to deal. So they're gonna it, they're they're given the, they're given the money. It's yeah. like basically they're 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 a little bit you know they're a little too fat and happy versus hungry. Yeah, and you know I explain to people I'm like, hey, listen, you know your your franchise your franchise or is going to require a certain length of a lease because you're going to have this agreement for a certain period of time. That's what makes you attractive to commercial real estate agent like these small independent gyms, myself included. You know, we're looking to sign a three-year lease because we're kind of nervous that we're going to make it. I couldn't get a single CRE agent to look at me or meet me anywhere because his commission check was going to be eh compared to the fucking plaza he's putting in down the street. He didn't want to waste his time with me. And uh, you know, no, and you're and in Canada is a whole nother deal. Up in Canada, I, I there was a I'm just a, not an Iron Twenty Four, but our Valhallen Esports franchise was going. He was going to sign a lease before he signed his franchise agreement. We're like, whoa, 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 time out. You cannot sign a lease before yeah. you're a franchisee. What if something happens? You know, and sure enough, a couple things did happen. And thank goodness he didn't sign a lease. Um, but it, that's a big. I've worked with franchise uh, a franchisee, uh, a fitness franchisee, and they signed a lease before before the territory was approved. She thought in Virginia. I, I know her. I still we still talk on LinkedIn once in a while. She thought because the territory was available, she thought in her head, this is available. There's not one nearby. So I'm going to quickly sign that lease, lock it in. So the franchise has to work with me. People no, have the don't. biggest fear. I always tell like, um, I was I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to be ready to sign for this space. I'm going to start looking for a location. I'm like, I think we're like nine, 12 months out, right? He's like, I'm like, you can, you know, look around, get on LoopNet, do whatever, like get an idea for the market, but don't fall in love with any spaces. Like we're not ready yet. Mm -hmm. We don't have pre-sell set up. We have nothing. They fall in love with the space and they sign the lease out of fear of loss. But what if someone else gets it? I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not the problem. The problem is what if you do get it and this thing doesn't happen the way it needs to happen. And now you and your PG, your personal guarantee are tied to this fucker for eight years. It's like, you know, yeah. don't worry about the building going away. That's not the biggest risk. That's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is if it doesn't and it's signed and it's signed to you and you're stuck with it and the business aspect hasn't caught up to now your current uh, financial obligation to this landlord for X period of years. And this is where the franchising deal really comes in. You work with somebody who's experienced and I always, I, what I always do is reverse engineer it. What's your total investment? Total investment is not open your doors for business. What is your total investment over 10 years? If you're signing a 10-year lease, you have a 10-year franchise agreement, you have build-out, you have equipment, not, remove the labor costs, remove the internet costs, electricity, just the cost of building out your space, 
getting your equipment put in there. What is the overall cost over a period of 10 years? And what people are finding is that being on that main retail versus around the corner, not as well visible, what is the difference of that monthly amount? So I reverse engineer it with folks and say, okay, around the corner, you are $5,000 a month less. How many members is that compared to being on this main? Now, are you going to get 200 more members just because you're a block and a half around the corner? I don't think so. Maybe 15 years ago, but not today. Sure. So what's the difference? And I work with, I want to, I want everybody to work out that big number. It gets a little scary, but that big number puts things into perspective when it's five sixty thousand dollars a year less, you know, compared to, you know, that's a $600,000 difference over 10 years. That's a lot of members. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And most entrepreneurs don't have that long-term vision. They can't see that far down the road. They just think about the here and now, and they're kind of punch drunk with opportunity and the romanticism of taking on this entrepreneurial journey, so on and so forth. With franchising, what would you say is if someone's listening to this and they've considered a franchise of any kind, it could be fitness, it could be uh, adjacent, uh, the joint, Cairo, massage, whatever it may be. What what should they be expecting? Like what they're like, okay, I know this is gonna cost, but what kind, but the return I should be getting? What like what in you, if they did that math, like let's say they sat down with you, Marty, and they're like, okay, here's the number, here's what it is at the end of 10. This company is showing me in you know, uh the light, you know, article 19 here that this is what my financial projection should should likely potentially be. What does that look like to you? What kind of ROI are we talking about? Yeah, so it depends on the, you got to kind of, you have to break it down by industry, like okay, let's go, let's the go food fitness. industry. Okay. Yeah. Food industry, for example, like never, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just like such a small margin, but people love the food business. Right. And so they get into it and some do really, really well, you know, clean juice, for example, I mean, they're amazing. Um, amazing. Landon Erickson, that whole thing is an amazing number is how they can make that happen. Um, but when you look at the fitness industry in general, um, I, I always tell folks, you want to look at a 36 month, 36 to, you know, 36 month ROI is, is a nice ROI. That's a good. Now, what does ROI mean? Does that mean your entire investment that you put in, or does that mean, um, the money, your lease for like, if you leased your equipment, your loan. So you have to break down your ROI and what does that mean to you? Is it the money that you put into your pocket to get that thing open and sustain until it started making you money? Or is your ROI going to be how much I put into this total, what I have on my SBA loan, what I have on my equipment lease, plus what I put into it in the beginning. All of that is, is that going to be your ROI? Setting up your KPIs, your key performance indicators from your pre-sale until your end of your franchise agreement is critical. You know, it is absolutely critical, but you know, it, it is buy that book traction, understand what your KPIs are. Because you have to have goals, you have to have numbers, you have to know where you're going to be, and you have to build multiple multiple scenarios. So when you look at an ROI, you know you could break it down to two different types. How much is it for me to get my loaned money back? Which not a lot of people do that. Rich dad, poor dad, especially he wants to focus on just how much did I put out of my pocket? When do I get that back? Now my business is sustainable, right? So typically 36 months in a fitness industry, you're spending 300 to $700,000 to open your doors for business. 
36 months, you know, you should really fight for 36 months. You push for 36 months. Now your marketing dollars, your team, your franchise, they're all backing you and they're all trying to help you support that. Franchises typically are not going to give you an ROI and say, this is when you're going to get your money back. That's, that's very slippery. Yeah. And, um, so regarding that, and I love that you mentioned traction. I'm a big EOS guy, big fan of Gina Wickman's work. When we're talking this ROI for everyone listening, 36 months, we're essentially saying that by the 36 month mark, you're now your cash flow positive, but you have now been able to recoup that initial startup investment. You're still tied. Finally, you're still technically in debt for the length of the lead. You know, all these things are still tied to these longer term financial commitments, loans, franchisee agreement, leases, things like that. But as far as the immediate money put out to get open, get it going, you're saying three years to have recouped that money. And now the money you're making, you can go ahead and look at, okay, that's take home now that I'm technically paid off my initial investment. I'm taking home this because mm -hmm. the business is cash flow positive. It can pay off the rent, the franchise, and the lease. Yeah, and what I always recommend for people is, then they'll say to me, so I'm not going to make any money for three years? I didn't say that. I didn't say you weren't going to pay yourself. I didn't say you weren't going to start to do an owner draw. And that's another big mistake. If you look at selling your fitness center someday, don't be paying yourself a big salary because then your P&Ls look horrible. Yep. You know, do an owner draw. So those P&Ls look pretty and you can get a nice a multiplier, but it doesn't mean you're not going to make any money. It's not, doesn't mean you're not going to pay yourself. You have to look at that, work out the number. What do I need to pay myself? I understand probably the first six to 12 months. I may not be making a lot, right? But again, building in your KPIs to say, okay, I need, I need to support my family. I need to make 10 grand a month take home. Okay, well, if you need to do that, build that in and still look at your 36-month ROI. It doesn't mean you're going to be broke. I was talking to an owner the other day and they're like, well, I'm just not making any money, but I'm paying off. I'm, you know, I'm getting my ROI. Well, where is that money at? And why aren't you paying yourself? You're going to end up, you know, sleeping in your car, running your gym until you get an ROI and you can start making money. I don't recommend that. I mean, I've slept in my daycare. I know what it's like to have to sleep in the back room because you're busting your butt for so long and why go home for four hours, you know, take a shower in the gym and I slept in the daycare and I got up the next morning and I was working. I lived that life. Don't do it. It sucks. And it's not going to be, give you a healthy result if you're over 30 years old. When you're in your 20s and you can eat cardboard and put on muscle, it's a different world than being 30, 40 years old, thinking that you're going to be able to do that. It's not going to happen. you got to, you got to make money. It's going to motivate you. 100%. I, a lot of again, individuals not even going this, the franchise route, I'll work with a smaller, you know, it's just a single solo dolo independent operator. He's like, this thing's only cost me maybe 85 to a hundred thousand dollars to get open. And I'm like, we look at it. I'm like, where are you? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, where are you in this line item monthly? Where is, are you just going to work for free? Do you have a nest egg? Is your wife bringing home the bacon and you can afford to do that? If not, there needs to be a line item here. The number one reason people are like, man, that gym didn't make it. It's because they had this kind of class or they were located here. And I'm like, no, 99% of the reason most uh, independent small businesses of all varieties outside the fitness as well, they are underfunded. It's just simple as that. Oh, they yeah, yeah. Just they, under The plane took off and it didn't have enough fucking gas to make it. Yeah, I, I always... Um... You know, when I work with folks on the funding side of it, passion can absolutely blind you. And um, it's our job inside of franchising to help you not be blinded by your passion and your energy. 
because it will absolutely, you will make bad decisions. Emotions inside of business, typically just like with critical conversations, if you have a lot of emotion wrapped up into that, typically that's not a good result. Yeah. So you have to work with somebody that's going to be able to um, logically walk you through um, what these numbers look like and uh, and how that works. And uh, that's where that's where, you know, franchising really adds a lot of value. Now, are you working with somebody who's lived it or are you working with somebody who does have has no idea what it's like to live it? That's where it gets really interesting in the world of especially the fitness world, right? If I'm going to be in, if I'm going to, if I stopped everything today, I would definitely buy into a franchise, right? If I was to abandon everything and run out there in the world and had to start all my whole world over again, I would definitely go into franchising, but I would not talk with anybody at a franchise unless they knew my life. Unless they knew what it's like to run a fitness center, time out. I need to understand your history as an individual, just because you sold a ton of franchises doesn't mean you understand what it's like to live in the business. Yeah. And most great franchise salespeople, franchise brokers, franchise consultants, they've lived it. They, they, they know what it's like. And those are great, great people to work with. So I want, that's another thing. So Iron 24 shows up and you guys are franchising. And what a lot of people asked me after that interview was like, Okay, so like, can you pretty much just like franchise any idea you want, or do you need to have like three years of proof of concept for people to to believe in it? Like, what's the minimum viable business model or business existence that can happen um, in order for you to franchise? And you know, I uh, I've pointed out like there's there's a brand, and I'll uh, my buddy uh, Chuck Fedorka over at uh, Mass Movement now JB Hunt. Um, he sent me a link the other day for OHM Fitness. Have you heard it? This is a franchise. They're they're relatively new. They're out of Scottsdale. OHM Fitness. It's the uh, IA, um, the electronic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pulse yes, suits. I do. Yes, I knew. I knew that. Yes. So, and the guy do. who created that actually has a pretty good history. So the guy who's like, bringing that to market. So it's like he sent that to me, and I was like, "Fuck, buddy, I don't like." You know, my feedback on that was initially like, "It's a twenty-five minute class. You have a suit on in which it electronically stimulates your muscles yeah. for twenty-five minutes, yeah. and then yep. you're out." I looked into that whole thing. Yep. And he's like, "Bro, they're selling franchises, and like, and they're yeah. doing they're doing decent." So my question to you, for everyone listening to this, because they hear that idea. And again, I don't want to judge. Oh, I've never seen it. I don't know it. Whatever. I don't want to judge that as a gimmick or anything. But yeah. someone's listening to that that's in our industry is like, well, that's a bunch of bullshit that they're just selling to people with a lot of money who are expecting some crazy orange theory like return. What would you say to someone if they're like, what's the minimum viable bullshit you can slide by in franchising? Yeah. Yeah. So one, the federal government does do a lot of due diligence in terms of if you don't have, so every state breaks it down differently. There's registration states, non-registration states, filed states, the FTC overlooks it all. You, you need to navigate it and you need to have a good balance sheet. So if you're going to start a franchise, you have to have the money that shows these states, whether you have to buy bonds, whether you have to defer your franchise fees. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Like if you're going to have, if you have some great idea, is it duplicatable? Is it scalable? I'm not scalable. Stu's not scalable. You cannot franchise Stu and his podcast. It's not going to happen. 
right? You can't franchise everything. It has to be scalable. It has to be duplicatable. And that's where the slippery slope comes in. I don't know anything really much about that, that franchise at OHM. Uh, I've heard some things about it. I had a friend of mine who actually interviewed there to, to be a part of their, their brand. That's how I know about it. And um, again, not judging at all. The guy's actually got a pretty good history, but electrical stimulation has been around for a very, very long time. And I'm just, I'm always really skeptical about studios. I do a 25 minute class and this, is it something that's sustainable for your member? Who is your user? Yeah. You may have a great idea. You may have a great concept, but who's your customer? And then who's your customer for the franchise? All that has to interlink together. Then you have to get over all the hurdles of the financial side of it. Do you have to have a necessarily a proven model? So, I mean, no. Anytime fitness started, they didn't have a proven model. Eric Keller, that was in the back of a napkin. He got a, he got his first location open in the town I graduated from uh, for like $46,000 or something like that. There was no proof of concept and they were a franchise. Yeah. So you don't, any time fitness grew their brand without a proof of concept. They didn't, they didn't have proof of concept until years and years into it. So proof of concept is one thing, but franchising always comes down to two, two factors. And I learned this from a wise, wise human being is trust and profitability. That's everything. Revenue solves problems, period. And trust, if you cannot trust your franchisor, if on the front part of the process, if I just shot out a bunch of crap to somebody, then they get involved in the brand, their trust is gone. Their trust, it, none of that came true. All now their trust is trashed. And trust and profitability balance inside of a franchise is everything. So when you think of, we think about what can we slide through, what can we franchise? You have, to, you have to have somebody who believes in what you do. You have to have people that believe in it so that they can talk to folks and show them the pathway. If they can show them the pathway, here's how this works. Here's the work that we've done. Here's why this can't be done by somebody across the street. Here's why for Iron 24, they're like, well, I can open up a 24-hour gym. I can just use this or that. And it's like the technological part of the tech side of the bandwidth that's required to do this People don't even understand what goes into it. And then when they start to dig into it, they're like, oh my word, I had no idea. So if you have a great concept, and you know, which is fan, you know, which is great, do you have the money that's behind you that can take it to a franchise? Cause that's gonna cost you for FDD could cost you 50 grand, not including all your filings that you have to do, all your trademark. I had somebody file a did their did, did their franchise the trademark. They did not own the trademark. So oh, here they build a here they build an FDD. They get everything ready. It's on the outside of their business. It's not their trademark. They don't own it. Somebody else does. It blew things up. So there's a lot of those pieces, and then the puzzle that you have to work with the right people, and um, you got to be careful with that because they want to come in. They're going to want to you know they want to change this. They want to change that. They want to get some equity. They want to do this. They want to do that. And next thing you know, the, the, the founder's dream is watered down and it's just not, they become really um, disengaged. Their passion is gone. They, they don't want to, they're, they're out, they've checked out. And now that owner, the, the, the founder 
is just not interested in even connecting with candidates anymore, franchisees. They're, they're, there's no gas left in the tank. Their vision and their dream is something completely different. And that happens a lot in franchising. I want to ask a little bit about Iron 24. Like when I sit here from a, a purely just a business case analysis, I'm like, okay, their unique sales proposition is a it's staffless, which is super unique. It's 24 seven. That's, that's run of the mill, but I mean, it's, you know, mm -hmm. staffless 24 is a, is a very unique combination. And then you're really unique is obviously, as we talked on the prior podcast, and if anyone's unfamiliar, go, go check that one out. Um, you guys, you guys don't, again, like you mentioned earlier, you guys are not taking those kickbacks from the, uh, the equipment companies, the other companies that as your preferred vendors and all that. So you guys sit there and I look at it from a business. I'm like, all right, they have something very unique. It's 24. It's staffless. That's the most unique part of this whole thing. Um, and it, but then they also don't take all of this stuff. And if I'm a franchise potential franchisee, I'm like, I'm like, oh man, look at all the margin I'm saving out like, from the, my constituents, my competitors in the industry that I, cause I don't have staff that enough, that addition. I mean, like when you look at your numbers, it's going to be, you know, payroll and rent. And those are going to be your two biggest nuts. You've removed that HR one. So instantly in my head, I'm like, okay, selling it to me, that's a huge plus. But then you guys come on and it's almost like throwing the, a massive cherry on top with the we don't we're not taking the kickbacks and all this other stuff. We're passing all that on to you. That's why we're able to do this at a more competitive rate. For you guys, how lean does that make you to the point of from a profit margin standpoint? And are you guys hopefully betting on like a volume based thing? Like, OK, we are we're trying to do this right by the franchisee, which means a lower profit margin for us. But so we're kind of running like, a you know, uh, the inverse relationship quantity right? Versus cost. We're going to go lower well, cost, higher quantity. Well, a couple of things to go into that. One, we're not just franchising. We're opening up quite a few More. corporate locations. Okay. Okay. So that's where the balance comes in. Um, another part of that too, is what's really, what I found very, very interesting is the franchisees that have come on now, they're actually going to be in their location. They're not, they're not, no, not full-time, but they're going to be there three, four days a week. I found that very interesting. There's only one franchisee we have right now that's that's going to be completely hands off. It's going to run the model as as cleaning crew, no staff doing his thing. Everybody else has like they're buying into this and they want to be a part of Iron 24 because of some of the things you mentioned, but also because they don't have to hire people to let it be. If they wake up in the morning and they are don't want to come in, right? They're taking a mental health day. Uh, if that's still the thing, then they're just not coming in, right? So they they love that flexibility, but they want still to be in there. They want to be talking. They don't want to have to deal with any of the operations if they don't have to. Our system, you upload your QuickBooks into, everything, all the marketing is done. All the sales part of it is done. Um, our locations that are open, we had members signing up knowing we were zero staff in the pre-sale. They were signing up and it was like, when you have almost a hundred people signing up in a pre-sale and they know that it's going to be zero staffed, that's they know what they want. And now, and obviously we have more members since then. Or you're concerned. But, it's like right next to like a federal incarceration prison and you've got a bunch of people that are like, God, there's gonna be nobody here to monitor it. Right. I'm gonna be cooking meth in the back. It's gonna be great. <laughs> right. right. So, and uh, you know, we have the ability to heat map. We have the ability to do so much with our technology that it, it's, uh, it's, 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 um, very, very interesting to see how other companies now are trying to figure out 
because we don't do key cards. That's a whole nother thing. We're not doing those little key cards that cost you money to buy them. You're, you're passing on your members. It's another cost. I'm finding the people that I'm talking to um, want to have their own fitness center, want to have the flexibility to make that fitness center a part of their personality and vice versa, right? They want to put their personal touch inside of their fitness center, which is which has been probably, I would say, the number one thing so far that has got us attention from actual entrepreneurs. Number one is the zero staff. Number two is that flexibility. The so flexibility. you're not telling me these are my the six color codes you can use for the paint on the wall. Like if I'm like, no, I'm we, clean. go ahead. We do have design. You have design, okay. but we get people that want to have Pilates and hot yoga. They want to go a little further down the recovery lane. They want to add, they don't want to have any motorized treadmills. They want to have more strength. They want to use this piece of equipment. They want to have, they want to be in this area. Uh, they want to have a, a boxing ring. They want to do an MMA, you know, closed off space. Um, it's been, they've been adding their own little personal touches where most brands don't allow you to do that. Is that concerning you guys from a, a you know, um, having a nice equal brand presence coast to coast, like having like, oh, that one over there, but it was mainly all strength that was at that Iron 24. Like, is that concern you guys at all? It's actually an advantage. Talk to me about that. Because for an example, in Pearland, Texas, where we have one location opening, then three miles up the road, we own both of these, by the way, it's not franchisees. So we have one location. Then up the road, we have th another location. I'm purposely making them completely different. Sure. Different yeah. equipment, different equipment, different percentages of yep. what the floor is going to take up, more functional in one, less functional in the other, more strength in one, more strength in the other. So one's going to be a very similar cookie cutter. It's still very, very nice. And the other one's going to be completely different three miles away. And I believe that's an advantage because um, – Every liquor store carries the same stuff. Every church talks about the same stuff, right? It, you, every gym, basically you walk in, kind of the same stuff. It's, I like the idea that we can be a little bit different depending on the location because I will drive 20 minutes out of my way to go to the gym that I want to be, be a part of. If they all were the same, then I'm going to look at them all the same. There's no, there's no sense of like, I got to go check this one out. I got to go on the website. I got to take a look at it. I need to see what makes them different than everywhere else. And that's the big thing when, when people talk about the fitness industry, why does somebody join a health club if they're already working out at a different health club or they worked out in the past? And it's not because you have the right colors or the right treadmills. They're coming in to see you to see what's the same or what's different to where they're currently at. That's why they're coming in. Yeah. So if we can show them that every, every Iron 24, you're going to have a lot of them that are going to be exactly the same. And then you're going to have the ones in, you know, Florenceville, Texas, outside of San Antonio, that's going to be, she's going to put her spin on that. And it's going to be incredible because she does a lot of group. So guess what? You walk into her space. She's got a lot of, she's got a pretty good size group area. That's for functional training. And so there's, you know, they're going to dominate in these smaller markets where the cookie cutter doesn't work. You know, you know what you're getting with a snap. You know what you're getting with an anytime. But I have no idea what I'm getting with Stu's fitness. No clue. I got to go check it out. I'm um. There's a marketing. One of my marketing theses is that you don't want to aim to be the best. Like a lot of times, like oh, we're the best gym in such and such. Like, you don't want to be the best. A that's a heavy lift. That's a heavy fucking lift. And you got to be on your A game 24-7, 365. Like even Jordan had off games. So you don't want to be the best. You want to be 
the better option for somebody at their time, at that time in their fitness journey, because fitness is fickle. It is a hobby. Fitness is simply a hobby. It's just something they enjoy to do that they don't get paid for, aka a hobby. So when people are fickle with their hobbies, as humans are, it, what they want next, like you know, someone might go to Iron Twenty Four for three years. They really like the, they love the strength equipment, whatever. But then they got in, they got the itch up their ass to do uh, triathletes or triathlons. So then they bought a road bike and now they're running and swimming and biking. And now that's better for them at the time. Iron 24 was better than the CrossFit gym they were at before that. And the CrossFit gym was better than the apartment complex gym before that. It's just a series of fickle hobby changes over time. Very few people, very few that are true, um, users, not, uh, creators, so not coaches, not fitness-minded people. Very few of us stay on the same fitness wavelength forever, right? Like you're just like, unless you're a coach and you're like, dude, I just like strength. I like this kind of fitness, I like that. Most fickle consumers are bouncing in every several years between different fitness models because it's just a hobby. And and you know the one of the things that I believe is missed in fitness center marketing. So if you're a gym owner. And you're like, what do I do for marketing? I've been doing the same thing over and over again. How are you, how are you um, delivering your message on what's changed? Especially if you're a seasoned health club and you've been there for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. You can talk about your culture. You can talk about how every time you come in, you get a hug and whatever. You, know, it, it, you can say all those great things. But bottom line is, how have you changed? What have you added for that person who hasn't been there in 10 years? What have you changed? What have you added? How are you communicating that message? It's going to work if you're consistent with it. Uh, but if you're just going to do the same old, we have treadmills, we have group, look at everybody having fun when they work out. It, it's it's just not reality, but that's how health clubs tend, tend to market. And um, how are you marking how you've changed, how you've adapted and what you did? You got to come check us out. We've changed so much. We've done this. We've done that. We're not the same old, same old anymore. Uh, I believe that gets missed quite a bit with fitness centers marketing that I see. There's a brand I just, I posted about them. I, someone shared it with me. It's called Grip Boxing. It's out of, I think, Manhattan in New York and really trendy uh, boxing type group fitness studio. And I haven't looked into the, to how extensive this is, but at the end of class, they have an open bar. Open bar at the end of class. Now, if you and me, I, I, I'm I'm 37, right? If like, I'm living in New York and I'm out of post-college and I'm single and I'm, you know, living that lifestyle, I'd hit that. Uh, that'd be my Friday night workout. Like even if I don't like boxing, like I could find my way there because that'd be the better option for me on a Friday. Single guy, open bar. This is great. And it's like, but that's like the thing is people, you know, in the comments were all just like, this is ridiculous. It's not healthy. There's no way it's sustainable. It's a liability. I'm like, and everything you're saying, I promise you somebody just as smart, but probably smarter than you thought of this ahead of time. And it's like, that's exactly what's going to happen. People are going to yeah. talk about it. It's going to, it's going to, you know, whether it's a gimmick, whether it works long-term, whether it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, the idea is like, what, it, what are you currently doing that gives people a reason to talk? Like you said, like if you, if a client came to you, CrossFit gyms, micro gyms, like if you had a client join in year three, they canceled in year five, they move back in year eight and you're doing the same old shit. It's the same thing that they left, like exactly the same. That's um, consistency is good. And if you do it really, really, really well, but generally there should be some level of evolution in that journey. And um, I hate, <laughs> um, so 
I, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't give medical advice. Right. And I'm not an attorney. I we're don't not give lawyers and we're not doctors on this show. No, not at all. But if you live in a state where cannabis is legal and recreational, what's happening right now with, uh, with folks is they're doing the, the strand called stativa. Oh, yes. Yeah. They're taking, and they're doing that, they're taking it in a drink form and that hits their system within 15 to 20 minutes and they're going to work out because it enhances all this stuff. And I've never tried that. I've never tried that in my life. Uh, but I I see that happening when you brought up the whole bar thing. And I was talking to a friend the other day, people that do jujitsu, a lot oh, of them do 100%. sativa beforehand because it enhances this mental side of their, their cognitive. And people started doing, I've seen people and heard of people doing that now before they work out. They're doing a, a hybrid sativa cannabis shot 10 milligrams and then they're that kicks in and they're going to work out and apparently it does some amazing things between the mind body connection i have not seen any research on it but by from what i'm but being if you, told but if anyone's looking incredible. for study subjects let, give me a call if you need yeah, somebody me. yeah hit <laughs> me, up. me if you need a sponsor or something let me know i'm there my there. buddies in college would get stoned as hell and they would go lift weights and they loved it. Like there's two things I can do when I'm stoned, nothing and sleep. Like that's kind yeah. of like, that's like where my yeah. limitation yeah. is. Um, yeah. But it's uh, the, you're not wrong. I've so uh, I'm training for the Chicago marathon and I'm not a runner. So I've kind of like kind of integrated myself into a bit of the running community and runners, especially the ultra runners, they will microdose mushrooms on these hundred mile races while they're running. They will run high. They talk about the runners high. No, this is them actually using THC. So they mentally kind of go to a different place. Their body is on autopilot. It knows what to do one foot in front of the other, but they're like the hardest part of a hundred mile race, the mental aspect. So that's yeah. my performance enhancer is microdosing mushrooms or some kind of psychedelic or maybe marijuana. And I'm like, this is intense. I never thought you fucking nerds party. Like this <laughs> now is... <laughs> it's going to be stews, sativa, fitness. <laughs> That's what it's going to be. I love it. We're um, going to franchise that. Yeah, we're going to franchise it. Yeah. Listen, Marty, this was like a masterclass in the franchise stuff. I really appreciate it. We can, uh, we'll have to do this again because there's a lot still more to cover. But if anyone, they heard this and they'd like to reach out to a guy before they get in bed with a certain franchise and they want to, you know, talk to you, that kind of thing. What's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, you uh, you know, people call me crazy all the time for giving up my cell phone number, but I do it. And I always tell everybody, shoot me a text message. I'm happy to chat. I'm happy to talk. Uh, have I got weird text messages from people? <laughs> yes. And it's, guys, I, I don't on. need try, to see any pictures. It, I don't need to see any pictures. Dick pics. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. But I, I'm, I'm a big fan of giving you my cell phone number because emails are great. I get that. But you will get an immediate response from me if you text my cell phone. That's 763-516-3578. And feel free to text me. If you call me, I'm probably not going to pick up because I don't recognize your number, but shoot me a text message. Yeah. You know, I'm happy to talk. I've been in franchising for 20 years. In fact, I was just, I'm working with somebody right now that's going to be opening a Valhalla Esports in North Carolina. We have quite a few there. And he, uh, he's his wife is going to be buying another franchise like a restaurant and i'm like oh my word have her call. let's talk about it yeah let, let me just help her guide her a little bit and what to look for and why um i to me it's always about reps and the more reps i get in to talk about franchising to talk about questions the better i'm going to be at my craft and that is to be able to work with entrepreneurs and helping them through their and within their journey i believe what goes around comes around long term short term 
And so I want to be helpful as I can. And um, I, and I promise you, if you're looking at something, I'm not going to try to sell you on something on my side of it. I'll just do my best to kind of guide you through. So feel free to text me. I love it, man. Marty, always a pleasure, dude. Thank you so much for coming on. Awesome, man. Take care.